We are here, we are queer, and we're changing the world for the better. Welcome to Queer Changemakers, where each episode we share the vision and story of an LGBTQ plus leader who is taking action to make a positive change in the queer community and beyond. Welcome to Queer Changemakers, where we share stories of LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs, business leaders, and nonprofits who are actively working to on projects that help and serve our community. Today's guest is Adam. So Hello. welcome, Adam. And I would love to have you just give a short intro about what you do at the sure. moment. Uh, well, my name is Adam Ross Nelson. I'm a data scientist and author. I have a book that came out in April and another one coming out in September. And I also work as a career coach. So I help mid and late career professionals transition into data science, similar to what I did. I became a data scientist late in my career, like I was <clears throat> late thirties when I became a data scientist. So I help other people also who have had fantastic careers earlier and middle portion of their careers. Now they're looking to grow in this new field. And that's what the book is about, by the way. The book is called How to Become a Data Scientist, Guide okay. for Established Professionals. So that's me. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, when I think about our queer community, um, being gay myself, uh, I can see lots of issues in our community. Some I've experienced firsthand, some my friends are experienced. Um, and what I'm hoping to do in this podcast is to have people share their vision for the future of our career community, ways our community might improve or expand. And I would just like to ask you, what's a vision that you have for the future of our LGBTQ plus community? It's hard to have a vision right now for the community, especially it's hard to... It, well, we're taking this, we're going there early in the in the conversation because we could think about having a vision for the community to grow and and flourish and develop and evolve, but it's hard to think about the community growing, flourishing, evolving uh, when we're under attack, right? right? The community, like, so we're not, <laughs> it's not like we're not trying to, um, uh, grow right now, we're in a place where we actually have to fight for survival, uh, which don't, it was a huge distraction that I didn't want. I didn't, I didn't see this coming. Maybe I was naive, you know, I'm 43. So I know firsthand the, you know, what it's like to be gay in the eighties in the nineties. I have vivid memories of the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands, and I remember significant advances in um, gay rights in those in those time frames. And all of the sudden, there's a backlash mm -hmm. right now. Well, this is and make no mistake about well organized, concerted, and sadly effective efforts, campaigns that are designed to minimize our identities and experiences um so 
I apologize for <laughs> talking around the question, but if I if I have to give a vision, I think my vision is that is that this is a short term lull in the advancement of gay rights, um, and and that we will be able to return to return to the progress that we had been seeing in the 80s 90s and 2000s and i don't want to try to imply that 80s 90s and 2000s were perfect for us um uh, or better than now uh but now is a dangerous time hmm. so there's my there's my answer we, we oh, went okay. deep early. maybe maybe not in the the direction i was my i was hoping to go in but that's fair. That's fair. I see that. And I also feel like, I guess sometimes when I think of a vision, maybe a better way to ask the question is like, if you had a magic wand and you wanted to change something about our community, what might that be? Um, but the idea of us being on attack right now, I definitely see that and it resonates, especially mm -hmm. in all the less progressive areas of the U.S. Yeah. Um, and around the world, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, like to use an analogy, the house is burning. So the house is burning. When the house is burning, you don't think, oh, I think new countertops might be a good thing. Or maybe I, that refrigerator is getting kind of old. I should update the refrigerator. You are calling 911. <laughs> you have other things to worry about. And that's that's fair. That's fair. And I feel like with 911, I don't always expect the it might be okay now it's a bad analogy because now i'm like with when when our house is burning sometimes i think we are the ones to help put it like to put that fire out ourselves change situations to make it for the better because mm -hmm. um, even with everything that's happening the bright side of that in my mind i could just be wrong and lying to myself um but the bright side around that is it's only happening because of all the advances we've made. Mm -hmm. And there are people on the other side of this, of so many of our issues who are just anti-inclusion, um, who, because of the advances we've made, they are feeling the change. They are experiencing the change and they're really trying to prevent it. Mm -hmm. They're trying to say, if we do this, the toothpaste will go back into the bottle or container whatever toothpaste comes in um you know the toothpaste will come, go back in there that's what we need we just need people to be more quiet go back into your closets not here and um in a way that does give me a little bit of hope okay but there's some part like you can't put toothpaste back in um and there are some things that just won't go back it's sad though that the real sad part for me anyway is the people who can't get away from where they are right now Mm -hmm. The people who are in some of these places who are more open to violence, who are more open to these restrictions and or discrimination. Vulnerable. Yeah, these people vulnerable. are in those vulnerable places and aren't able to leave. Mm -hmm. Like me living here in D.C. doesn't matter what happens. D.C. will always be a progressive place, um, regardless of who's in the White House, just because this city is placed in a space. Uh, that actually cares about our queer community. Um, and yeah, yeah. So when I think about when I think about the house burning, yeah, I do think that we do need to um 
help put that fire out <laughs> before we think about remodeling. Um, and I think one interesting way to help put those fires out is the use of data. Sure. Right? It's the use of, you know, if we measure what's going on with different populations, mm -hmm. um, even some of the effects of some of these laws, what's what effect is that having in local communities and local economies? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that could be an interesting way to sort of connect <laughs> some of the things you're doing um, sure. with this vision of, okay, let's, let's stop this house from burning. That's one of the favorite aspects of my work is uh, in data science is um, I can show empirically uh, observations, empirical observations of the world that there are systems of oppression, systems of neglect uh, that are based on race, gender, uh, queerness. And one of the things, so the, here's the thing about statistics. Statistics is pretty good at a lot of things. And one way to summarize much, if not all of statistics, statistics tells you whether a pattern found in the data is a pattern that may have been due to chance or that may have been the result of a systemic influence. And we find these patterns in the data, which are clearly not possible if they were random occurrences. Like these patterns could not be random, which means that there's a systemic process at work influencing the data to unfold in the way that it does. And it's empirical evidence that systemic oppression exists. Okay, okay. So Use a that's the data more. science work in me. Um, I don't know. Did you want to talk more about data science today? Careers? We can talk a little bit about both, a little bit about both. But so a way to think about what you do in data science is, and connected to this issue anyway, is you can use data and statistics to prove sort of discriminatory effects. So discrimination has an effect on types of people and using your data science skills and the data that's available, you can show that it's not just random here and there, but it's systemic. It's ingrained into the system. It is just commonplace, and it's yeah. it's available. okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think sometimes uh, data can feel really big, mm -hmm. and like, the purpose of this, and like even with statistics and math, uh, for some of us, it can be a little daunting. Um, so thinking about how that can actually <clears throat> work with our community and the future mm -hmm. of our community—that's um, exciting. So, like for you, how did you actually get into data science? Was you said uh, earlier that um, you started later? You transitioned your career into this. Um, yeah. But... Earlier in my career, I worked in education. Mm -hmm. um, my first job—well, actually, my first job ever, ever was as a as a tour guide at a historic house museum. That was as a teen. Really, yep, Historic House Museum. And then uh, before, after high school, before college, I taught English as a foreign language in Budapest, Hungary. So that was a formative experience. And not many 18, 19 year olds have that kind of experience. I was very thankful to have that experience. 
um, folks think, how does a, what's that? How long were you there in Budapest? I was there for a year. And, and people, you know, a lot of times they'll ask like, how did 1819, how did you end up teaching English in Budapest, Hungary, when you're from Wisconsin, a small town in Wisconsin? And there's a, I mean, that could be a whole episode on its own. Um, uh, but a variety of very fortunate circumstances came together, some luck, um, having an open mind, um, all came together. A big part of that too was not being able to go to the college that I wanted to go to. So um, in somewhat of a temper tantrum, an 18, 19 year old temper tantrum, I was, I sort of huffed and puffed and said, you know what? I, fine, fine, fine. If I can't, it's fine. I just, if I can't go there. I'm just going to go here instead. Why, um, why, why, why go to college if you can go to Hungary? I mean, exactly. So there's a teacher of English as a foreign language. Um, my undergrad was history and communication. And then I worked in education again, higher education administration. I eventually went to law school too. And the question was, how did you become a data scientist? So during the, a P, my PhD program is when I teched up, got really good in tech, got really good in stats. And before I knew it, most many, if not all of the people in my life, friends, family, people I was in school with, uh, co-workers, bosses, started calling me the data scientist or a data scientist, thinking about me as a data scientist. And I did what many people do in that situation, uh, just would do and just demurred and said, no, okay, I'm not, I'm not a data scientist. I'm this other thing. I'm a I'm an academic, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm an expert in education, law, and policy. Um, but once I realized, uh, <laughs> once I realized that being a data scientist might be a little bit more lucrative, or at least as lucrative, and fulfilling, and interesting, and intriguing, and, and um, also as capable of giving me an opportunity to make positive contributions to the world that being an expert in education policy might have brought me, I switched over to data science. And um, yeah, that's how I got into it. Wow. So, so people were able to see the data scientist in you before you were able to. Uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good, I, nobody's ever put it that way for me before, but that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like sometimes uh it's hard for us to see ourselves mm -hmm. um, and people right next to us will be telling us something the whole time and it's like oh no 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 and then eventually we're like oh, five years ago someone could have just told me that which they did yeah, um, exactly <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome uh yeah. so so when you think about your journey so far um has there been a big challenge that you've overcome to sort of get to where you are now with one book released earlier this year, another book yeah. in a couple months. Well, um, one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges that I didn't choose, like you've different kinds of challenges in life too. Now that you ask the question and I think about it, um, questions that you choose and then questions that choose you or your circumstances give rise to. And so for me, one of the biggest challenges when it, people ask me this question, when they ask, when you started working for yourself, um, you left corporate consulting and started career coaching and then also doing data science consulting on your own. Uh, 
what did you, what's the biggest challenge with that? And for me, I always answer collaboration or the lack of collaboration. So in corporate consulting, you, there's no shortage of opportunities to collaborate. Actually, you need to collaborate. Everything you do is a collaboration. Um, and I didn't realize how much I took that for granted, how valuable the collaboration. So asking, so if you write something, maybe it's a, it's an email, maybe it's a report, maybe it's an article, maybe it's, uh, maybe you're putting together a presentation in a corporate consulting environment or a large organization, there are any number of people you can ask for uh, to give you input. But when you're working solo in a smaller business, uh, finding the opportunity to collaborate, get input, share ideas, swap ideas, workshop ideas, et cetera, is much more sparse and much more limited. So that's a big challenge. And then I don't know if I fully overcome that, right? I'm still working for ways to, to overcome that um, one of actually probably then on the, a challenge I chose writing the book, how to become a data scientist is actually, have you seen the book, by the way, here we are on for anybody who might be just listening to audio, Justin, and I also have video and I'm showing Justin my book. Awesome. awesome. Uh, and we will definitely have a link in the show notes. So people appreciate that. As well. Um, but yeah, so, so choosing to write the book, uh, part of me wonders if, if at least some of me wasn't eager to write the book because I knew it'd be an opportunity for collaboration. For anybody who's ever written a book, you don't do that. You don't, it's not something you do on your own. <laughs> uh, well, if you, if anybody out there has written, published, released, distributed a successful book on their own, I want to meet you because you, I need to like learn how you did that. But for me, I had a lot of help. I had someone help me design the cover. I had someone help me do the structural edit. I had someone help me do the line edits. I had someone help me do the page edits. I had someone help me everything, everything I had a lot of help with. And it was, it was, it was thrilling because of all the opportunity to collaborate. Wow. So now, now that the book's out and this other book's coming out soon, I need to figure out a way to start collaborating with folks again. So maybe podcasts like podcasts fills that sort of scratches that urge a little bit as well. Interesting. So like in, in that, in that, let's again go with this magic wand idea, uh, okay. a magic wand uh, that can help fill that collaboration gap that, um, that you is, that you've expressed. What, what, what could that be? Cause again, we, it's a magic wand. So we can just make it yeah. up. Um, what might that, what could that look like? That's a great question. I'm gonna have to get back to you on it, I think. Okay. Uh, okay. There's, you know, I guess maybe now that I think about it, I've done a couple other things that have really helped me um, in finding that collaboration, but also has had this added benefit of doing a better job for my clients. So for example, my coaching clients uh, when we go through the resume revision process and the resume writing process, there's at least three people who will look at each of my clients' resumes. So there's a collaboration, right? So I've built a process around that where there's me, uh, a re professional resume writer, uh, another professional resume writer. Actually, now that I think about it, it's always a professional resume writer, another professional resume writer. I have, I call fulfillment partners. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because they also have their own professional resume writing practice, but I hire them uh, to work with me and my clients, plus my office manager, plus me, that's four people. And if you count the client, there's five people who look at that resume. So there's, it's beautiful collaboration. I love it. So uh, maybe I would just, I don't know, like, I don't know if I need more than five people to look at any given resume. <laughs> so maybe that collaborative opportunity is maxed out. Uh, but, uh, that's one solution that I've found. And I guess I don't need a magic wand for it because I've already found it and implemented it. Wow. It's like, it was already there the whole time. Yeah, it's exactly. Like that data scientist within you that everybody else saw. Sort of. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. Um, cause yeah. So when I, when I think about what you just said and the lack of collaboration, as one of these challenges that you're overcoming in your mm-hmm. entrepreneurial journey. Um, I guess I like to focus on the challenges sometimes because I mm-hmm. feel like in my own journey, there's been a lot of, sometimes you see the teachers, you have the mentors, you have the courses, the trainings, um, even the communities. And sometimes you only see the good, right? Like you only yeah. see the wins, you only see the successes and it's easy to think, maybe I'm doing this wrong or like maybe no one else wants to collaborate. Everyone's just off in their own world doing their thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me personally, I feel like there are lots of challenges that I've been running into. Um, So I just want to like spend a little time to talk about that. So that others who may be listening when they run into different challenges or maybe they run into this fear of not having people, not being in a team environment or collaborating. Um, one, they can hear some solutions that have worked for you, but also two, they can know that they're not alone in experiencing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I also think in, in the world, we are, we are social beings. We are social creatures. Um, most of us, okay. Very few of us would just love to like sit in a corner and just work all day and have that sort of disconnected life. That's not everyone. I mean, I do have some friends who are like, I need my I have, time for 18 hours of the day. Including I have sleep. days like that. Not every day, but I have every once in a while. I, I, I get that. Like anybody who's out there who feels that way, I'm with you. On occasion, I just love the opportunity to go nose down for a day. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying there. You know, the, the, I don't know if, uh, you know, missing out on collaboration is necessarily the most vulnerable answer to this question. Um, you know, hearing more about why you asked the question, um, you know, one of the more vulnerable answers to the question, the challenge, sort of an ongoing challenge is um, the instinct or the urge to compare yourself to others. So compare your success or lack of success to the success or lack of success of others. Um, and in comparing, being social, because you made the point that we're social, Comparing ourselves to others is so ingrained with us. Someone recently asked me, someone who is an aspiring career coach looking to help folks, not in data science, in a completely different field. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, God, what did she ask? I can't remember. I can remember the exact question, but the, the premise of her question was, and the question, I guess, in its entirety was something like, what was it like when you were itty bitty? Because uh, she was perceiving me as this big time career coach, maybe. And I immediately responded. I said, I'm still itty bitty. 
<laughs> I mean, let's, 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 let's not accept the pref, pre, premise there. Um, and so she and I actually, if you really dig into what she was saying, what I was saying, she and I were both comparing ourselves to each other. And maybe that was helpful in the moment. Maybe it wasn't helpful in the moment. But uh, there are many times when comparing yourselves to others is more problematic than not. So I know that's something I struggle with is comparing myself with other people when I shouldn't, when it's not helpful. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I do think that it's very human to do. Yeah. Almost every everything I know, I've sort of learned from watching from someone else like someone yeah. else, you know even when it comes to walking I compared myself to my older brothers and eventually mm -hmm. was like all right I can do this um yeah do you do you have any uh advice or any anything that helps in those ways when you find yourself possibly comparing or before when you might have been comparing yourself for me, it's very meditative. Uh, for anybody who has been to a meditation workshop um, or listened to meditation guides on podcasts or YouTube, um, you know, the advice is you're trying to clear your mind of thoughts. And so don't punish yourself if you're trying to meditate and you suddenly get a thought about your car needing an oil change. Don't punish yourself. Just notice it. Just notice the thought let the thought happen and then let the thought drift away. Right? So similar to if I, what I do is if I find myself comparing myself to others, I try not to punish myself for it. Uh, I'll just say, I'll just say, Oh, I think I'm comparing myself. I think I might be making some comparisons here that are not fair. That might be counterproductive. Um, and I think it might make sense for me to, not indulge in that comparison just notice it let it happen and then let it go away that's my best advice i don't know if that's maybe that's not very helpful but for me i know that's one of the things i'll sometimes i'll i'll do for myself and that's on a good day most days right you know so yeah. Probably out of a hundred times where I'm comparing myself to someone else and I shouldn't be, maybe one of those hundred times I will successfully just notice it and then let it drift out of my mind. <laughs> All, and nine, the 99 other times I might obsess over it. That's that's awesome. And thank you for choosing to go a level deeper. Uh, with hey, the, you're welcome. Because I do feel like I, I do that too. I compare myself all the time. Like, I'm in someone's program, right? And I'm comparing myself to the person who's teaching all of these people. And I'm like, that's, that's, I can't do it the way they would do it. So like, ah, oh, it needs to be better. Um, whereas I have my own journey to go on. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, that comparison idea is just a natural thing. Yeah. So hearing from you that uh, one solution for it, and also hearing that, you know, a solution and you don't always use it all the time. Yeah, I think that, that helps because again, sometimes it's like you can get in the spiral of I'm comparing myself and now I'm like, I shouldn't compare myself. And now I'm like going deeper on myself, right? I'm like, yeah. oh, why are you comparing yourself? Yeah. So, so on one level, it's like, why are you not doing what they're doing? And then again, it's like, why are you mm -hmm. comparing yourself to them? Yep. You can get in the spiral. But I yep. think being able to hopefully sit with it, yeah, allow it to just pass. Um, Another thing that can help is just being unapologetically you. 
because if the more you you are, the more unlike other people you are and the fewer points of comparison there are. So when you, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, just be you. Um, and that, sound, that sounds very cliche, but this has a very pragmatic or practical angle because when you are doing things your way, a way that makes sense for you in your mind, regardless of whether it makes sense or other people are doing something similar, um, if you're unique, you can't, you can't compare yourself to other people. Of course, then you might, then you might fall into like a spiral be like, why do you got to be so gosh, gosh, darn unique all the time? I don't know. No, that's fair. That's fair. And I, and I sort of, one of the lessons that I'm trying to learn and believe and like embody is this idea of like abundance. Like there's enough out there, right? There is enough for everyone to have everything they need and way more. And like by being yourself, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to business and entrepreneurship and like doing your own thing in a way, it's, that's what's going to make you different than somebody else. Yep. I like, can't remember who said it, the author, British, English author, something, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. And like, I'm I'm one of five brothers. Uh, so when I think about family, right, there's a lot of like, ooh, you got to be like this brother or that brother. And it's like, we're all different. And even some of the things that we all enjoy, we enjoy mm -hmm. for different reasons. Yep. And I see the same thing when it comes to like business, even if there's another data science author and coach and everything that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to come at it from a different perspective. They're going to come at it from different values. They're going to come at it with yep. different ideas. Um, but to be clear, nobody's doing what I do in career coaching. Oh, no, okay. yep. I'm the, I'm the only data science career coach focusing on mid and late career professionals who are looking to enter or level up in the field. Uh, nobody else is working with that exact same group, uh, with that exact same group, especially uh, not in the way that I do, because I work only with that group and I have an unlimited career coaching program, which nobody else provides that. So I guess maybe I've found my own, I, I guess I'm, I guess I have taken my own advice there. I'm just, that's me. Nobody else is doing things the way I am. That, that is awesome. Uh, so can you share a little more about what it is that you're doing? Um, sure. Limited career coaching. Like what is like, what exactly do you mean by that? Uh, well, so working with me is a little bit like work, uh, joining a gym. So yeah, and, and we're not going to get you sweaty and we're not going to put you on a special diet and we're not going to measure your body composition, but so the analogy isn't perfect, but, but, you know, if you join a gym and you don't go to the gym, uh, you're still paying for the gym while you're there. But if you join the gym and you go twice a day or three times a day, I don't recommend that, but you go two or three times a day to the gym, you're still saying the same, you're paying the exact same price that you would pay if you didn't go to the gym at all for the entire month, right? So I have, uh, my clients have the ability to uh, unlimited text, email, phone, Zoom, schedule with me. Um, anytime. Plus I have a variety of on-demand uh, programs as well. So the on-demand programs really teach you the, the really teach you the finer nuts and bolts. And that way I can spend my one-on-one -on -one time with folks 
uh, fine tuning um, for the individual. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, there's almost everybody I recommend the same template for the resume. Almost everybody I have the same set of or very similar set of recommendations for the LinkedIn profile. And part of that is because I've picked a really specific group of people to work with, yeah. right? So I can, I can afford to have really specific pieces of advice for just about everybody I work with, but then um, everybody is, but everybody's still an individual. So by having such a robust on-demand program, I can also have a very robust individual approach when I'm working with folks, texting, emailing, messaging, uh, phone calling, um, phone calling and Zooming. So uh, there's that. Uh, what else is there? So yeah, you join, yeah, you work with me um, and I just work with you until you get hired. Basically, we work on redoing your entire resume. We work on refreshing and revising your entire social media presence. I have a lot of done-for-you components on that. And for the resume, a lot of done-for-you work on the resume, a lot of done-for-you work on the social media. Um, then, oh, work very hard on portfolio projects, one-on-one -on -one support on the portfolio projects, uh, transitioning into data science, advancing your career to data science. Um, one of the key one of the key um, tactics or strategies is having a have a really good examples of your professional work. So that's a professional portfolio. So so when you think about <clears throat> for those listening, um, someone might be wanting to work with you. Sure. Um, how might they know? So I feel like sometimes even like the words data science. Uh, data scientist mm. is is sort of a new way to talk about something. I mean, maybe 15 yeah. years old now. Um, what? Yeah. So if somebody was listening to this and they never thought about data science as a career. Yeah. Well, I would say get my book because there's a chapter called What is Data Science? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I would totally say get the book because there's a chapter called What is Data Science? And then there's another chapter, which is super, super interesting, I think called, you might already be a data scientist. And based on what we talked about earlier, I mean, that chapter is largely based on my own experiences, except I tell stories of other people in that chapter as well. Mm -hmm. Lots of really good stories. I also have a chapter on who is a mid or late career professional. Okay. Okay. So I spent a lot of time talking about what it is to be a mid or late career professional, a uh, very open-ended definition, very open-ended inclusive definition on what it is to be a data for, or a mid late career professional. I also offer a very open-minded, um, open-ended view on what it is to be a data scientist. Mm. Um, one of the things that I, one of the reasons I believe it's important to have that philosophy is because uh, basically the cis white dudes uh, dominate data science. And one of the ways that we reinforce that dominance by the cis white dudes is by overstating, overcomplicating what it means to be a data scientist. You have to have this kind of credential. You have to have this kind of experience. You have to have that kind of um, degree 
you have to have gone to this kind of program. You have to have, have you have to have had one of these specific kinds of majors. And when we do that, we reinforce we reinforce the discrimination. Yeah. Right. Because, for example, like let's say let's say you have to have a a, a degree in statistics, economics, engineering, or computer science to be a data scientist. Automatically, you've excluded because. Uh, white men are overrepresented in those four fields. Automatically, now we're making data science less accessible to non-white, non-cis, non-straight people. So, anyway, the, the broader message is for anyone who might be interested in in trying to work with me or becoming a data scientist in general. Uh, this book really could help you be a do-it-yourselfer. I recommend a lot of other resources as well. This book alone wouldn't make you a data scientist, but in the book are is is a roadmap for other resources. If you're more of a do-it-yourselfer, get that book, take a look at it. And I think if you're doubting whether data science might be right for you, this book will help you better understand if it could be an option for you. And I'd wager to your um, your um, pleasant surprise, it probably is more of an option than you realize. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So, so in a way, in a way, you're making data science more inclusive. Trying the industry of data, yeah, the data science industry more inclusive. Trying. I mean, uh, I can, I'm I'm just one person. I can make little baby steps, but every little bit, every little bit counts. Yeah, and I and I feel like that's. What we all are, right? We're all one person for now. Yeah. Um, and at some point, <laughs> you know, doing what we can to make a change in the communities, in the mm -hmm. spaces that we inhabit in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I pretty, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and to be clear, I work with, um, I work with white straight dudes too, right? <laughs> you know, um, and- yeah, you know, so I mean, I'll I, I don't discriminate based on someone's um, heritage, um, but I am very specific about working with mid and late career professionals, pretty broadly defined, who are looking to enter or level up in data science. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, what are some ways people can get in contact with you? Uh, easiest, the easiest ways to reach out to me by LinkedIn. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Uh, coaching.adamrossnelson.com is another great place to go. Coaching at coaching.adamrossnelson.com, I have a variety of free resources. So again, if you're if you if you're not ready to buy the book, or you have the book and you're looking for more, go to coaching.adamrossnelson.com where you can find some additional free resources. And in fact, if you get the book, the book tells you how to access uh, bonus. There's a whole library of bonus videos at, also at coaching.adamrossnelson.com. So the book bonuses are, so the book is the book, but if you buy the book, then you also get access to the book bonuses, which is, which is fantastic as well. So there's, those are the best ways to get it, get in touch with me. And I'm happy to answer questions, message. I really recommend re messaging me on LinkedIn. Not everyone has LinkedIn. You can also message me on Facebook and Twitter. And depending on how the conversation unfolds, I often pretty quickly just offer to hop on the phone or switch over to text with folks as well. Awesome. Awesome. 
Um, that sounds good. That sounds good. So uh, as we close this interview, um, have a couple rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, okay. So question one, hey, it's, it's the end of June right now uh, when we're recording this and it's the end of Pride Month. Uh, do you have any favorite moments of this year's Pride season that you were able to experience? Well, this year I celebrated Pride in some new ways. I uh, traditionally go to the festivals and the concerts and the parties, uh, but this year I focused on connecting with family. I also focused on reflecting at, back on previous Prides. So last year, for example, a group of my friends and I, we organized actually a mutual friend, you know, Matt Corso and I. Mm-hmm. Matt Corso participated in this. We got a group of people together, did a photo shoot. Every, everyone, everyone had a different color of the rainbow and so we did this pride photo shoot last year and i look back on those photos with with really fond memories so that's my favorite memory favorite aspect about pride this year is i had a chance to look back awesome awesome uh so when you all were just as different colors of the rainbow where did you all like go outside and like walk as a as a rainbow around and we were we went to a park we didn't do like a walk around but we were at a park and we had pictures on this really picturesque park bridge individual pictures group pictures Um, And not everybody knew each other before the photo shoot. So it was also kind of a way to get to know some new people as well. It's awesome. Beautiful, beautiful color you were. What's that? I was green. I wanted to be blue because my brand color is blue, but um, I was told to wear green. So I wore green. I I like to get along well. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to have to see these pictures at some point. Yeah. Um, So that's question one. Uh, Another question is... Do you have a role model or someone that inspired you just, yeah. I would say anybody who has changed careers. Okay. uh, Similar to what I did. I mean, here's the thing, changing careers, a lot of the times changing careers or changing jobs, especially changing careers or changing jobs too frequently. The old way of thinking on this is that it's a bad sign or a red flag on a resume, but it should actually be a massive green flag because changing jobs, but also changing careers, maybe especially changing careers, is evidence of strong evidence of a growth mindset. Okay. Very strong evidence of a growth mindset. So anybody who's changed careers, had has had the bravery to change careers is a role model for me. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And for the final, final question, um, is there a piece of advice or like a guiding word or wisdom that has helped guide your journey or that is a model you go back to? Yeah, I have a few things. <laughs> One is you're more ready than you think. You're more ready than you know, which is which is sort of evocative of Winnie the Pooh, braver than you, braver, stronger than you feel, braver than you know, smarter than you think. Okay. So... Uh, recently, uh, based on recent experience this summer, I've been going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. So my Mm -hmm. advice is make sure you get really good sleep. Take the time to get some really, really good sleep. Go to bed early, um, get up early or just go to bed when you go to here, do this. Let me revise that a little bit because everybody's different and there's, you know, go to bed when you go to bed, but when you go to bed, get some really good sleep. Um, for the amount of, amount of time in your life you spend asleep, make sure it's good, good time, time well spent. That's my advice. That's a, that's a good one. Personally, I, I need to work on that. Um, getting great sleep, but, um, 
All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing parts of your story and your journey and what you're doing. And it's fantastic. Um, I, I can't wait to see, hear the episodes when they come out. I, I look forward to seeing how you continue to make the data science industry more inclusive. Uh, Stay in touch. I'm looking forward to see how I do that too. <laughs> it's not a small task. But um, all right. So thank you again for being here. And right. to. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Queer Changemakers podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mezzetin, and I hope that you're able to learn from what you just heard and think of ways that you yourself can also make change in your community for the better. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.